Welcome to the Plexus Education Leadership Podcast Series. Today we have Dr. Versi Hamlet, Superintendent of Fayette County Public Schools, just outside of Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. Hamlet is a mentor to future superintendents and is helping the next generation of female leaders get ready for their successful leadership careers. Well, welcome again, everybody, to the Plexus Education Leadership Podcast. I'm David Linevers, Vice President of Plexus. And today we have a very special guest, the Superintendent of Fayette County Public Schools, um, just outside of Memphis. And uh, welcome, Dr. Versi Hamlet. We're very glad you were with us today. And uh, how's it going in East Side Memphis? I, can't, I shouldn't say East Side because you're not really East Side. You're, you're outside of Memphis. About how far? I probably about um, 20 miles from the Shelby County line. Okay. Not far at all. And I know Memphis area is growing and there's all, I mean, that area, I mean, Tennessee itself as a state is booming. Yes. Yes, we are. And uh, so then we, we have uh, the Newport company coming, right? Luke Oval hmm. City, have you heard? Yeah. Oval is coming to, uh, so we're looking for expansion. Uh, lots of growth in the area. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. And, and is that going to be near you? Actually, uh, we do have um, part of that is in Fayette County. Uh, it's in the Haywood Fayette County area. Okay. We, we are anticipating some growth over the next 10 years. I mean, that's exciting. And, you know, when, you know, I definitely want to talk about your background, but you mentioned something which is interesting. When you say the next 10 years, I mean, as a superintendent and the life of a student and a staff and faculty member, 10 years can go by very, very quickly, can't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, so this is my 28th year in education. And I, was really, <laughs> I was having a conversation yesterday with some staff members about how the changes uh, that we've seen within 28 years. But it does go by quickly. And so that's why we have to be intentional about what we do here and make sure that uh, we have a great impact on our students. Absolutely. 10 year plans, they seem to be crazy. Um, when I, <clears throat> I moved from Los Angeles up to Monterey, California, and now I live up near San Francisco. But when we moved there, they were converting a military base into a, into a community. Mm-hmm. It was Fort Ord, which is a fort that back in the early 90s. And we moved there in 2008. And I was thinking, how long is it going to truly take to trans- transition this? And I was, I was, I, in my mind, I was like, okay, two decades. And now it's a decade and a half, and it's getting pretty close to being fully developed now. And 20 years doesn't seem long, but I'm like, wow, almost 20 years. <laughs> Absolutely. So you mentioned that you are from Arkansas. Yeah. yeah so- tell us about your journey and where you grew up. And Wow. So uh, I am born and raised in Palestine, Arkansas. So I grew up on a farm, actually. And uh, <clears throat> I am one of 10 children. Awesome. And, and we we grew up uh, having to share everything. And <laughs> imagine now, <laughs> I don't like to share a lot. Even but chores, I'm I, sure. I, plenty I, of those to share. Good <laughs> mind sharing those. That's um, right. but, so grew up in a house, uh, mom and dad, uh, you know, we, we, we grew up in poverty. Um, mm. So education was, was a big value in, in our home. We taught um, just a really good um, Southern values, uh, work ethic, and uh, 
very religious. I, I'm a preacher's child, and uh, we raised our food and, and had our animals, and so it was just a simple life. And, um, my parents wanted something better for all of us, and so I was the first one to uh, graduate college. Oh, that's so, awesome. I'm, the ten, I'm fourth born, and so um, first to graduate college, and I had two others to follow me. Well, that was impressive. But um, so we're uh, Methodist, our religion, by religion. And okay. so I uh, attended a Methodist school. It's a, a historically black college, Lang College in Jackson, Tennessee. Yeah. And so I ran away from the farm to, <laughs> to school and I did look back. And so um, that's where I achieved my bachelor's degree. And so from there, it was really a challenge for me coming from a very small community. And I think I mentioned this earlier is that I have more students in my high school now that really are, that lives in Palestine, Arkansas. And so. Yeah. It looks like population around 700 or so. Yeah, is that right? And three of us got out. I always teach them <laughs> like three left. And so the size <laughs> does not reflect that. But um, from very humble beginning. But we were really taught basics about just treating people right, um, have a lot of self-respect and uh, value education, as I mentioned before. And uh, so that was kind of my path to uh, is to never go back to the farm. That was always because <laughs> uh, that was a lot of hard work, you know. Absolutely. I don't think people understand the hard work that goes into being on a farm, like what it really is like. Yeah, but you know we're we're growing our own food and having to to do chores before school with the animals and um, I, you know I think if we asked our kids to do that today, <laughs> it'll be a different kind of uh, world for them. And so after you know going through school, I, I have a master's degree from uh, Fred Hardeman uh, University. Great I school. And I held I hold a um, uh, education specialist and a doctorate in Union. From, from where again? Sorry, I broke up a little bit. It's weird. This from is... Union, Union. Oh, yeah. University. Yeah, great places. Uh, and so over the years, I've done adjunct uh, for Union, um, from UT Martin, and Lane College as well. So in my spare time, I do a little adjunct. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting as I get the opportunity, I mean, really the honor to talk to so many different superintendents is, you know, everyone comes from such a different place as far as where you grew up and what your journey is. And, you know, when, when I've had the opportunity to interview and talk to um, some other superintendents that are from, for example, like Osceola, I think I mentioned Arkansas. <clears throat> He's from a little town on the, on the Mississippi, um, just south of there where his parents still live. And I know you're inland just a little bit more from there, but amazing people come out of so many different areas to go on and do incredible things. And <clears throat> I know as a superintendent, that's what <clears throat> you want to do is facilitate excellence amongst the kids. Yeah. And, you know, with, with your personality in the midst of how you grew up and helping yourself walk through this, do you ever see kids like yourself and go, oof, that's, they're like me. I'm going to make sure that they get the need. I mean, I know what you mean by all kids, but we do connect with different kids, don't we? We do. And so that has been my passion. And so I, uh, a lot of people don't know that I started out as a substitute teacher. Okay. 
So go from substitute to superintendent. So that's, <laughs> that's a book coming for you. So um, I'm going to write that one down. I like that. Substitute <laughs> to super. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't know that uh, growing up, reading was not my strength. And, and so the, on a daily journal na- journey now, I see students that, that are like me. I see African-American students that are struggling. And I have the opportunity to make an impact in their lives, too, for us, if, if it's curriculum or resources or, um, or, or just personnel within yeah. itself. Um, that is my daily journal, journey, is to try to help students that are just like me. So I take it very personally. I love that. I mean, that that's one of the things I've heard over and over again from superintendents, including yourself, is how much they love their community. You know, that they're in this for the kids and the teachers and just pretty much everything about that happens in the superintendent world. Um, you really get a chance to do touch on everything, business community, oh, yeah. um, transportation, like you were mentioning earlier the 10 years of what could the community look like, depending on the business opportunities that move in. I mean, that itself must be exciting to see for you to, to vision out that far. Well, I, I think we have to be intentional about uh, what's going to happen here. You know, so I, I was a superintendent six years in another district and we had the Tyson company to come in. And so we did, we did some projections and of course, all the targets were not met. But here's an opportunity for us in Fayette County to continue to partner with our organizations, our other um, companies here, but also welcome in another partner. But then we can kind of restructure what we want our school district to look like for the next 10 years. Yeah. And be that great partner in the community to build a workforce um, that's really needed. Uh, we have a great program that um, we are building here called Grow Your Own. Um, Grow so- Your Own? Grow your own. And oh, I, don't yeah. know, I don't know if you know that there's a teacher shortage going around. So we're uh, <laughs> so we're having to really be intentional about finding staff members to fill, if it's a bus driver or a cafeteria staff member or, or a teaching position. So we're learning now to look within, to find those substitute teachers just like me, you know, <laughs> and grow our own teachers. And so... Um, Hopefully, we can meet that the demand of what we're going to be looking for for the next ten years. And so, there's so many areas that we're looking to um, to to plan for. And so, we have to be, you know, as a community, plan together for that. I like that. I like to grow your own, and I have heard from a a, a number of superintendents about the teacher shortage and. You know, just tr- like you said, trying to grow your own. <clears throat> you know, yeah, I think it, they're going to be the ones that are going to be here, right? Yeah, yeah. They're not coming right. to, to visit to to get just a couple years experience. They live here, and, and it's personal for them, and they're invested, and so that's what we're looking for. I like that. Now, you, do you partner with any universities or colleges to to help the funnel and attract teachers to your district? So. Last year, we, we were in the program, or, or and this year, uh, with Freed Hardeman University. And so that program, that grant is ending. And so we're looking to partner with the University of Tennessee. Oh, okay. Uh, Martin. And so we're starting that initiative. And so I'm so excited uh, to get going with that program. 
Absolutely. I mean, that's where the teachers are being trained, where you can talk about your school, connect with people. And, you know, for those that want to live in your in your town, in your county and just different. And like you said, if you're outside of Memphis, so I don't know much about the Memphis area. When you're outside of Memphis, is it suburban or is it more rural on the edge? How do you? Oh, it's kind of a mixture, right? Is it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're totally rules. I don't, don't get confused. With that. <laughs> but in between, there's a little mixture there. Sure, um, sure. But we do compete. We, we have the Collierville and the Bartlett and uh, Germantown where we're heavily competitive. Oh, well, we're not really competitive with their salary. And so we do lose a lot of staff to those uh, other communities. And so we are very rural. And it is a... It's a different world, but for me, being from the country in Arkansas, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable here. But it is an eye opener for some people to come and, and experience a, a lot of land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So um, the, the reason I ask is, um, I, I know I mentioned with the transition of the community I moved in in Monterey, Fort Ord, was for faculty and staff to go to the university, you had to move from, you know, San Francisco and LA, which are huge metropolitan areas to an area of maybe 50,000 people total, which is big in some parts of the country, obviously, but California, it's tiny. And that's, and that's in the County. I mean, that's not even just in the cities. And and that was, it was tough for the university to attract people to, to come and invest. And they tried to look for the right fit, right? The people who, who really loved it, like you mentioned. The Plexus Education Leadership Podcast is made possible with the generous support of the Plexus Foundation and UnlimitedTutoring.com. Visit us at www.UnlimitedTutoring.com and learn more about our high-quality tutoring offering and affordable pricing packages. We're here and dedicated to your academic success. www.UnlimitedTutoring.com yeah, so you know our county is about forty four thousand people. Yeah, um, but very rural, and so um, we have teachers that'll come here, get their credentials, and then move on. Mm. So you know it's kind of challenging. <laughs> You're like, stay. <laughs> we want you to stay. We like you. <clears throat> you know. You know. How how long have you been there now? This is my third year. Your third year. So you came during COVID? Wow. <laughs> um, I left the district uh, in the midst of COVID. We we closed down in March for COVID. Okay. And so uh, so I closed that school that school system down in COVID. And then I opened this one up, bringing everybody back. And so when I got here, they were all on the remote line. And so... Um, a lot of school districts around the area were already open and they never missed a beat. Okay. And so I had the challenge of going to each department, having meetings and saying, you know, we have to come back to school. And so they didn't really know me at all. I was just a new superintendent saying, we got to get everybody back to school. Yeah. And so um, I'll never forget meeting with the uh, bus drivers. And they were very, you know, I, I'm going to tell you, it really hit our population hard. Mm. COVID hit our population hard. And to bring everybody back, it was, uh, they they trust me a lot, I have to say, to uh, make sure I was making the right decision. So team effort. Team effort. Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, when you have a community that is hit hard and you see what's happening and, 
you have those who say, well, this isn't really You're kind of like, what? wait a second, hold on, let's step back and look at the reality of the situation. So when you were having those conversations with your team, how, how did how did you engage them in just getting them to just open up as a new superintendent and and really build that trust? I know time is trust, but just curious what some of the things you did. Well, I need, I had other superintendent friends that were, like I said, they were already open. And so we engaged in conversations with other staff members from other districts and to see their plans, how they open schools. And, yeah. and, and so I was just honest with them to say, you know, we have to put safety protocols in place, but we also have to bring our students back to a safe environment where they can learn because they were very limited of what they could learn at home due to our rural area and lack of technology opportunities mm. here. So we were very um, limited when it comes to the internet access for some of our students. And sure. The best place was for them to come back to school tomorrow. And so I had to continue to have meetings to build that trust level. And it was a journey. But I also sent them to other places to see what it looked like to bring students back into the school. Oh, that's smart. And, and, it, and it really worked out, you know. And that's I, really smart to send people to see, like, look, we can do this. It's fine. That's fine. That must have been transformational for them to, to trust you. Be like, okay, okay. You, I know you mentioned the trust, but just as a, as a team member thinking, if I was sent somewhere to see something, you see, you're like, oh, that's a whole different meaning. Yeah, because my largest elementary school has about 600 students and, you know, they were very fearful of having those kids in the building where I knew of an elementary school had 800 students in it. And if they were doing it since day one, then surely we could do it too. Yeah. And so it, it was the planning they, that my team saw the plan, the detail to plan and in order to keep everybody safe. And so we brought them back two days a week in the beginning. And so it was just a slow progression of getting everybody used to being back. So first semester, two days a week, um, the next semester, four days a week with a day off. And you, I mean, as a superintendent there, there's no day off, is there? Not even on Sunday mornings. When I <laughs> it's true. <laughs> no, but I, I think mental health um, has really become um, a conversation piece. I do. Yeah. This is this is my eleventh year. Uh, excuse me, ninth year being a superintendent. This is my ninth year. Sometimes I lose track myself. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and <clears throat> I asked a question the other day: Who's the longest serving African American? female superintendent and the answer was you Darcy you're the you're the longest serving and I asked the question why and I think it's because of a lot of pressure um, there's a lot of politics there's a lot of accountability but it all plays in on mental health for uh, uh, professionals and especially I, I um in this area, because we're never off, we're always on. We go to we go we go to the grocery store. We're still superintendent, right? We go shopping. Mm-hmm. We're still superintendent. And so I mentor some other superintendents. And I always say, have an outlet. Like I I, I try to run, <laughs> try try to run, and um, and that is my outlet. That is the time that I can just put on my my headset and just go for it. And hopefully nobody interrupts the run. But um, I do think that 
um, mental health plays a huge role in what we do on a day to day. We have to have time to refuel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think you know that that's such a good point in the midst of always being on and um, superintendents taking care of each other and mentoring each other. Uh, and like you said, it's it's funny as a professional with all those demands you talk about. Because in order for you to take care of yourself, it's like you have to take care of yourself to take care of yourself. It's like a double-edged sword and and truly creating that mental space where you can shut off your brain. And that I mean that in a very positive way, like shut it off so you can regenerate and recoup. And uh, I don't think people really understand the demand of the job because we're always giving and we're yes. always trying to make sure that students have what they need and teachers have what they need and the bus drivers and the cafeteria staff and the community and our board members. And so who is giving back to us? And so we have to be very intentional about that. You know, I like that the mental health for professionals, because it's it's easy to forget. We talk about the kids a lot, which are absolutely important. I mean, we know that. But the professionals and how we do care for each other that way. <clears throat> I've had mentors along the way who've been like, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Asking me those questions. And that's in that asking is really the power, right? Which when you ask your mentees, what, what are they doing? I mean, that it kind of loosens me up and goes, ah, okay. Now I can think about it. Yeah. So, you know, when you're talking about mentors, I have two to come in mind. Mm. Dr. Connie Smith, she has been a, a heaven sent to me and Wayne Miller. They, they have really been inspiring in this journey of being a superintendent, very supportive, have guided me along the way. And, um, that Dr. Connie Smith, I don't know if you know her. But I don't... She, she's been a superintendent. Okay. Um, she's worked with the State Department and being um, a woman in leadership, she is able to. Uh, really help God. She's like a guiding light for a lot mm. of young women coming to I'm just inspired with her leadership and her guidance. And so I'm very appreciative. You know, I always believe that people need sponsors. She's been my sponsor. <laughs> I like that. I'm really grateful. Really grateful. I mean, definitely, I appreciate you sharing about that in the midst of. Because there are pressures on women leadership that are different than men. Absolutely. I mean, and as we know, within African-American women leadership, the pressures there and the insidiousness of things that, that are enculturated in ways that people don't always accept that exist. And then we have to fight against all the time. And, you know, as a superintendent in those roles, I'm sure you see those. You, you hear it in the news, you hear it around. And, you know, it's, it's tragic, number one. It's absolutely tragic that this stuff is even out there, period. But we know it's a reality of what it is. You know, when, when you're working and supporting each other um, with women in leadership, I know there's institutes and there's, um, you know, professional develop forums. Um, Ginny uh, McDonald over in uh, Arkansas schools, she's in uh, Jonesboro and um, is amazing. She talked about that. She went through an academy and support and, my sister lives over in Europe as part of groups and, you know, professional accounting societies that are all with women and that kind of support. And that's so key 
to making sure that people understand what's happening. And so if I could say one thing for women in leadership is that to know, to know your truth, right? Yeah. To never compromise your standards or, um, because we are, we are tested on a daily basis of, um, you know, of who we are. We have to prove who we are. And there is a level yeah. of trust that we have to build uh, with our constituents first. And um, some people put us in a box to say that we can't achieve. And so I was not raised that way. Mm -hmm. I do not Mm -hmm. perform that way. (laughs) (laughs) But what I have learned is that I've been putting a lot of situations where I learned who who I was meant to be. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. I've learned that I have boundaries and I have limits of, what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. And so I've been tested, um, but I, I know that I don't compromise my standards and who my parents raised me to be um, for anyone. And so uh, that's, that's what I want women in leadership to understand is that they have a voice and yeah. it's okay to exercise that voice. And at, no matter what the cost is, you may think it's a great cost, but it's so much bigger than what they're really looking at at that moment. So um, I've been through a few things. Yeah, a lot. I've learned a lot about myself, and I learned yeah. that um, to never compromise. I, I prefer. I love to have the conversation about those things because they are important, and the and the truth does exist that we need to talk about all the time. It doesn't just. You know, you don't think I don't compromise my standards and everything goes away, right? That's so much greater than that, like you said. Um, and not everyone feels comfortable having the conversation outside of our dialogue when I bring it up. And I'm like, hey, no, no, no. And they're like, oh, like, hey, this is important. This is education. This is what we do. And it's about changing and transforming people's ideas that, that are just flat out wrong, you know, about what, what the needs are. Anyway, sorry, that's my... I. I've been, you know, working in higher education and state education for years and empowerment and wanting to make sure that door is wide open for everybody. And I know that when the doors open, you have to walk through it with people and be there with them along the way. Absolutely. And and I'll end with just my my little thing on this is I like that you mentor people, women and superintendents to help them through that door and to the other side. And what are what are your mentees telling you about their experiences? Um, goodness, that, um, you know, sometimes people make them feel less than mm. who they really are, um, that they're not valued, um, their, their word is not as important as the next person in the room. And so, you know, I just, mm. I try to, um, you know, find the, the reason why, like, why do you exist? And so you have to go above and beyond other people's perspectives to, yeah. to get to the heart of who you are and what you're about and why you're here. And my passion has always been about education. Yeah. Find, find that child who was just like me to offer opportunities. And if that's your passion, then, then the, the other stuff really doesn't matter. It's just about um, doing the work. We're here to do a job and to do it passionately. And um, and so those people that do not <laughs> value who we are, it's just, that that's supposed to be um, 
you know, to help elevate us. Yeah. To find ways to motivate us to do better, right? And uh, to have our voice. Don't stop. I I ask my uh, mentees to have every opposition to make that an opportunity for something else. I'd always try to see an opposition as an opportunity. I like that opportunity. Like, see it as an opportunity for change. You know, with, I, again, I appreciate you talking about that a little bit and just sharing about that. That's something that has been a nice surprise in this podcast is talking about the mentorship mentees and that kind of team development, both with superintendents. And then you mentioned what you did with your team during the pandemic. And what do you see your teachers doing with the students these days in that way too, and passing along those characteristics? You know, I think teaching has changed over time. Before the pandemic, it was, we were really, and we're still focused on it, but we were focused just on, you know, the curriculum and making sure that we had the resources and students were achieving. But now it's coupled with the mental health piece, right? Because our students lost a lot when they were home. And many of them were home alone. And so we cannot um, negate the fact that there's, there's an elephant in the room that our kids are suffering. And so we have to um, be that uh, support system for our students to provide mm-hmm. before they start learning. Yeah. So um, we have to be supportive to our teachers to provide those resources. We have a lot of wraparound services for our students now. That oh, that's great. We didn't have before. So we have to address that before they're learning. I like it. I like the kids' needs, they're there and they change every day. And, and as they grow from kindergarten to 12th grade, the needs change as well along the way, don't they? I mean, I've had teenagers, five of them raised them, and I have four right now. One's out of the Teenageville, just out of it. <laughs> but, but uh, I mean, you know, you've had a big family, brothers and sisters as well. You know, but in your, in your journey right now, when you look at the kindergartners who came in and after the pandemic, now they're what third grade, second or third grade, what are you seeing their challenges are as a district? So it's most, it's mostly social. Mm. Um, and we've had some trauma. Um, so we're, we're intentionally trying to become a trauma informed school district with all of our staff. And so we've seen a, a, a reading decline. Mm. A lot, a lot of learning loss that our students face, and so we're trying to rebuild that. Um, we have summer school opportunities for our students to catch up. We're doing after-school tutoring, programming, um, interventions during the day. And so, when you know, when I was a teacher, we didn't have forty-five minutes of intervention every day. And so, but now we're we're very aggressive with intervention, um, not only. Um, academic interventions and the behavioral interventions. Mm. It's a tough, it's a tough job these days for teachers. Hence the reason why we're in shortage. Uh, I would agree. You know, it, it has changed and schools get a lot of attention for a lot of the negative things happening, but not always the amazing things that happen. You know, it's. They put on a, a lot of our teachers put on a, parent role yeah and, and nobody sees that part of the job so i'm very grateful for our teachers 
and all of our staff members that are there for our babies when no one else is there. Oh, they really do love our kids. They get to know them. The, um, I was talking to a superintendent the other day, and uh, he mentioned the bus drivers and how well they know the kids. And that this bus driver could see the kid from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, like literally watch them grow right before their eyes. Yeah, That's pretty amazing. I mean, that kind of joy, you do it with your own kids, but to see it with other children as well. That's true. And um, so when when you you say that, it brings to mind that my bus driver, when I was growing up, so I went back to a, a reunion. Mm. I, I got a chance to see and so um her son and so she he, he reminded me <laughs> that, hey you remember all the days we rode the bus together <laughs> yes yes and so um but but being in that small community we were able to tribulate all the way up yeah all the way through school together and it was a family it was a sense of family right and so his mom, of course, you know, watched all of my siblings, watched us all grow up. And to, to go back and see him was, was wonderful. Just a just a family connection. But my bus drivers here, we, they do the same thing. Yeah. They do the same thing. They provide students with snacks. And, um, you know, we have those conversations when students have other special needs that they see. Um, one story comes to mind that a bus driver had taken a student home the other day and the student left a book. The student needed that book. Mm. And the bus driver took that student back to school to get a book and then back home. So those are untold stories about how people care about our students. And nobody knew that. And so I kind of got wind of it. And I've been telling that story. (laughs) That's headline news. I mean, it really is. Appreciative of the fact. They went, took the child back to school for the book. I mean, that changes a kid's life having that kind of experience. Because when you're that age, your whole world is that book. You really can't step outside and needing that book as a young kid. That's tough. <laughs> Study for a test the next day. What's <laughs> that impact? <laughs> bus drivers, and, you know, all of our staff just caring. Yeah. Just really caring. Teamwork. Now, with your with your high school students, um, I know they've talked to some superintendents. I know in Tennessee, they're talking about college and career a lot and the funding model changing and, you know, some of the different things that are going on. Like I said, I don't understand to the depth of what that funding model change is, but just the investment of the career and college education tracks. What are you guys doing that way? Because that's been really interesting conversation. So... We have a really good um, career and tech center here, um, mm. a, a vocational school. You may be familiar just with the term vocational school. Sure. Um, we have a partnership with Tennessee Applied Schools. We call that TCAT. And okay. So with our TCAT, we have that advanced manufacturing and automotive and nursing. And so we have a lot of opportunities for our students here. And so we really encourage them to follow their passion. If you want to go to college, is there for you. If you want to go directly into a career, we're here for you to get your credentials and certification. And uh, if you want to be a nursing assistant or manufacturing or construction, or so those opportunities are here for our students. And so 
Uh, we've partnered with communities where uh, uh, community partners for our students can go out and do some um, uh, work-based learning throughout the day. And so we're very excited about the opportunities to offer our students. And it's important for our work. You know, we've yeah. got to find people that's going to replace us, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to pay my social security? Who's going to pay for that? Somebody, right? Somebody's got to pay for that. <laughs> so that's, I want our kids to be prepared for the future. And I want yeah. them to go and do whatever it is in their, their heart to do. And I just want them to understand that if this little girl from Palestine, Arkansas made it out and can do some amazing things, we're so can you can do it. I, I like that. I, you know, when I think about the career tech piece and the opportunities, it, it seems like in after conversations with other superintendents, again, this is more of a, it's not a research-based one. It's more of a, an observation that I, I've been wanting to do a little more digging into that schools around the country are definitely putting more energy and effort into getting these tracks. And it seems that the pandemic exposed a weakness in our own country that we don't do stuff enough here and we're dependent on the interrelationships around the world, but we also realize, wow, when those fail, we're out of luck in many ways. So, so what does that say that we need to, you know, we need to get to work yeah. <laughs> and, and just not in isolation. Right. And yeah. so, um, that's why it's so important to sit down as communities and, and as our nation to plan to plan what we want the next five to 10 years to look like. And so it's really left up to us. Now, it's not that we can't do it. It's will we do it? Will we do it? It's just a, it's a challenge that, um, that we should provide the next generation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely what you work in every day to helping make sure these kids are thinkers, doers, creators. And that the teachers inspire that along the way. Yeah. I mean, that, that role in the principals, I was talking to, um, we, we have some donor sponsored tutoring that we, we do for high schools throughout the country through our foundation. And I was getting a hold of one of the principals yesterday and they're like, you know, I just email him. He happens to be in Colorado. He says email him because we don't know where he is. He's somewhere in the building. He's somewhere around. And it was, it was a fun conversation to have with the office team because they know this principal's out there engaged and especially the high school principals. I mean, it's a pretty incredible job. Oh yeah. I mean, they're, they're busy. You just, it's a, it's a different, it's a different kind of busy though. Right. It's just (laughs) making sure that everybody's in the right place at the right time. Um, Now we have to go in and, and, monitor the instruction that's going on because I ask my principals not to be a manager. I want you to be an instructional leader. Mm. I need to know uh, policies and procedures because they know that if you ask any of my administrators, what's the, what's the one thing that Dr. Hamlet's going to tell you is that read the policy. What is the <laughs> policy? <laughs> you know, follow the rules. And so, um, so I want them to be instructional leaders, to be in those classrooms, to know what the students are engaged in, um, make sure everyone has all the resources that they need. It's, it's just so important yeah. to know and have a pulse on that school to know what's going on. I like that. Don't be a manager, be an instructional leader. And, and you're right, policy is written for a reason to create consistency. And it's, it's usually very thoughtful when policy is actually implemented. And that's the piece that people tend to forget about. 
Yeah. And so I'm not a micromanager. Right? Yeah. So my staff, when I got here, they were like, well, what do you want me to do about this? And, what do you want <laughs> and I was like, so, so you do have a degree. And I trust you um, to make great decisions. It's yeah. And so uh, I am training them to be hopefully great leaders, being yeah. effective leaders. And this year, uh, we had uh, three schools that were um, for, uh, or designated for level five for growth. And we have one school that's a level four for growth. And then we, and then we have three, uh, two reward schools. And so I, I really challenged them to be instructional leaders, to be about the work of um, what's best for students. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. You know, this has been a lot of fun. I'm telling you, the time always goes by so fast. You say quick when we, we, you know, 35, 40 minutes. And the next thing you know, I wanted to go a few more hours. Um, I I really like what you've had to say about, you know, the mental health. I mean, so many different things. I could go on a list, but I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and your expertise with us today. Um, you know, as a superintendent, like you said, of nine years, I don't want to jump you to 11. You're like, nope, not 11 yet. <laughs> you, yeah. I, I'm sure you have grown quite a bit in those nine years, just transforming your own leadership style and doing that. And it's, it's nice to be able to share that with other educators who are in your role. And I, I really appreciate your time. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. And I, and I hope one thing that I leave is that uh, being a servant leader is my leadership style. And, yeah. uh, and I enjoy the work. I really enjoy the challenge that's before us. And so thank you for the opportunity. You're very welcome. You're welcome, Percy. Thank you for joining the Plexus High School Leadership Podcast Series. If you'd like more information on this podcast or Plexus, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.